Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. So, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm oversee and I have the opportunity to steward discipleship movements, uh, life groups, Bible studies, things like that here at, at Legacy. And it's been a good six months since I've been up here being able to teach. Uh, And part of that is because through your graciousness and your prayers and your generosity, I was able to take a three-month sabbatical. And so I just want to express my gratitude uh, for giving me that opportunity. And being allowed to step away for a season, I was able to travel to places that I hadn't traveled ever before sometimes in a long time. Um, and it's, it's hard to not be in awe of God whenever you're in the foothills of mountains in Colorado Springs. This is where I stayed. This is where I meditated upon the Word of God. This is where He met me in very sweet and wonderful times. But it's also really easy to meet Him whenever I go see a life-size ark replica as well. Um, and so you may be able to tell there's a tiny little dot on kind of the, on your left side. That's me. That's the first time in a very long time that I felt tiny. So it, it made me feel good. Uh, so, uh, my wife and I were able to, to travel to Kentucky and see the ark and just, uh, experience the Lord there through conversation and through a museum. And then finally, I was able to go to far west Texas and stay in a yurt. I don't know if you know what a yurt is. It's kind of a fancy tent. Um, it, was, it was really nice. Um, I thought I was going to have to rough it, but no, the, the striped thing in that right picture, that's my bed. It was, it was my kind of camping. It was, it was a really good, it was a really good time. Um, but the, the thing is, I learned through that experience that I can experience God anywhere and everywhere, but it's not quite the same as experiencing Him here with all of you. There's something about us together that drives and encourages my relationship with God. And so, thank you for allowing this place to be home. And during my time away, I I wanted to pick a visual representation of what my time away looked like. And so if I had to pick, it would be this. This is known as Christ and his friend. It's, a, it's an icon. Um, this piece of art is commonly referred to as Christ and his friend, though there is a, another actual name for it, uh, Christ and St. Minas. Um, but the, the interesting thing is uh, you can kind of see Christ is the, the figure on the right Um, And he has his skinny little arm around his friend. I'm like, that's not true. Jesus was a carpenter. He'd be buff. Like, this is just, it's not right. But but it it is a good representation of what I experienced while I was away. Why did I choose this picture? It's because my time away, I sought the Lord and began to understand more deeply his friendship with me. With the help of a friend in Colorado Springs, who, uh, whenever you saw those, those pictures where I stayed in the first, uh, I had a friend that lives there, and he met me one afternoon, and we just talked about our relationship with the Lord. And he really encouraged me to lean into my belovedness in Christ. 
You see, I affirm and I, I always have since coming to know Christ that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ. That's, it's as simple as that. Nothing I can do will ever earn my salvation. Christ gives it to me, and it's, it's through grace. But somewhere along the line, I began to develop this idea, or at least this feeling, that I had to earn Christ's friendship. He willingly gave me his life for salvation, but in order for him to stick around and enjoy me, I had to earn it. Man, it brought back a lot of feelings from high school. I don't know if you were there, but that's how my high school was. I had to, I had to earn it. I had to say the right things, do the right things in order to keep my friends around. And so I had this, this terrible and heretical idea that Jesus loves me, but he didn't really like to be around me. And yet we see in the Gospels that he loves us and cares for us. Throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He is a friend and he is near. In fact, in John 15, 14 through 15, he calls the disciples and those who will obey his commands, his friends. So I sat with Jesus' friendship over my sabbatical. And it strikes me as interesting because as we're in the middle of John 17 in this series, we see Jesus praying for his friends. Both those whom he walked with and those who throughout centuries of trusting him would become his friend. You and I are partakers of the prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn from, not just his friendship, but what he is doing in our lives in John 17. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John 17. I'll be reading verses 13 through 19. Again, that's John 17, verses 13 through 19. And the verses will be on the screen as well says, but now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. As we begin this portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer, or as, as Pastor Kevin called it recently, the real Lord's Prayer, we see two big themes. And the first is that Jesus' disciples are to be sanctified. What comes to your mind when you hear the word sanctified? In fact, you might even ask, how does one become sanctified? 
Jesus helps the 11 remaining disciples know that he rem- he, what he means throughout these verses. But the easiest way to define it is sanctification is the process in which a Christian is being set apart from the world and growing in character and likeness to Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. Sanctification is the process in which a Christian is being set apart from the world and growing in character and likeness to Jesus Christ. Jesus, after addressing the Father in verse 13 and proclaiming that he will return to the Father in heaven, Jesus says that he has been praying and teaching in order that the disciples may have joy and that joy would be fulfilled in him. I like how the NIV translates this verse. It says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Full measure of Christ's joy within the disciples. The NIV helps me to picture what it means to have joy deep within my soul that originates in and from Christ. Joy is not a synonym for something that originates in the world. Rather, joy is something that is produced and given by Jesus. I want to I say that again. Joy is not a synonym for something that originates in the world. Rather, joy is something that is produced and given by Jesus Christ. Robert Mounts, in his commentary on John, stated... The joy that Jesus experienced was essentially the profound satisfaction that inevitably accompanies perfect obedience. Perfect obedience is the fertile ground for joy to grow. But what exactly is perfect obedience? Is it something that you or I have to muster up? And honestly, for me, and I don't know about you, But the phrase perfect obedience (laughs) begins to conjure up feelings of anxiousness, of worry, of fear, concern. Because if perfect obedience is born in me and from my effort and my energy, there will never be perfect obedience. But what if we see perfect obedience as something that Christ did and does and isn't manufactured within us? Does it change how you see perfect obedience, knowing that it's dependent upon Jesus and not upon yourself? If joy comes from Jesus and perfect obedience comes from Jesus, then why why do we not find life so much easier? It's because, again, our minds tend to wander. We begin to think we have to produce joy. We begin to think that we have to be perfectly obedient. But when we recognize that we are the recipient of both Christ's joy and his obedience, it takes the pressure off of us. Jesus is the source of it all. But if Jesus does all of this, what's our role? We, we have to do something, right? Well... Sort of. Our role is to be sanctified. Our role is to partner with God in the process of growing like Jesus. It means that we're not pushing off what God is trying to do, but we wholly embrace it. We we allow it to come near to us. 
God gives us everything that we need to be sanctified. The question is, are we engaging and receiving what God has given us so that we may look like Jesus? You see, in verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We see the process in which Christians are to be set apart. First, they're set apart, they're sanctified by truth. And secondly, that truth is God's word. It's not my truth that sets me apart. It's not my interpretation that sets, sets me apart. It's truth, God's truth, his word. Everything that the disciples uh, of Christ needed to know in order to grow in faith in Christ's likeness is found in the depths of Scripture. Then, you and I as disciples of Christ, as our hearts and our mind, minds engage what the Word of God has to say, we can begin to be transformed by the work of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit. Christians are to be set apart by the truth, and the ultimate truth is that which is revealed in Scripture. It is the Bible that tells us of God and his rescue mission of humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. We need the Bible in order to grow in truth and understanding. I have a friend that I made recently that um, I don't want to give a lot of his story away because I didn't ask if I, I could, though he freely shares. But um, about a year and a half ago, he, he went through, through something, um, and it rocked him to the core. He said that uh, as, as this event happened, he, he sat there wrestling with God one night, saying, God, I was, I was planning for the future, and now that future isn't there. What do I do? And he felt the Spirit speak to him and say, for years, you've gone through the motions. All I'm asking for you now is to sit with me. Just sit with me. And so, year, year and a half uh, later, as my friend has sat under the word of God, he still doesn't have the answers, but he looks a lot more like Christ. His children have even noticed a difference in him. They enjoy going over for Sunday evening dinner with him because he sat under the word of God, partnered with the Holy Spirit, and allowed God to transform him, to set him apart, to no longer look like the world, to no longer work in his own strength, but to trust in Jesus. And that's, that's what I hope for us, right? Is that whatever we're going through, the word of God informs our suffering, informs our joy, informs our lives. Jesus prays that his disciples would not be taken out of the world. As my friend has stayed in the world, and people are noticing this, Jesus prays that his disciples would not be taken out of the world, but that they would be kept safe for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus knows that they're hated in the world, just as Jesus was hated. Why was Jesus hated? It's because he didn't live according to the ways of the world. 
And if Jesus didn't live that way, and if we're called to be like him and follow him, we're going to be hated. It's amazing how that math works. What is the way of the world? It's an outlook of hostility or indifference towards God and the things of God. Jesus says twice in his passage that both he and the disciples are not of the world. It's always important whenever you see repetition in a Bible passage to latch on to that. It's, it's repeated for a reason. The reason it's, in, it's repeated is because Jesus is making a clear statement that those who identify with him would never be loved or accepted by the world and they never should have the outlook of the world. So you might ask yourself or you might be thinking, have I ever experienced any pushback from people who have a worldly mindset? I imagine you have. Have you found yourself being ridiculed or made uncomfortable because you don't agree with the people around you? It's a common occurrence for Christians to experience these things when they're seeking to obey God. Jesus warned us that we would be hated because he was hated and we identify with him. In verse 15, Jesus prays that the Father would not take the disciples out of the world. They needed to stay in the world for the sake of the mission. But Jesus prayed that his disciples would be protected from Satan, our real enemy who hates God and hates Christians. Being sent into the world requires a real presence among people. And it requires protection that only God can provide. The world will hate Christians as the enemy hates Christians. But we must be prepared for the work that we're called to by growing in our knowledge and our obedience to God. That's why the first theme of this portion of Jesus' prayer is all about sanctification. We must grow to be like Christ in order for us to walk in his mission. Recently, I was, I was made aware of this cute little parable that I'm not going to be able to articulate as clearly as, as what I heard it, but there's this, this parable of an acorn. And the story goes something like this. An elderly man was out for a stroll one day, walking through the forest, and he kicks this little acorn. And he goes over, and he picks it up, and he brings it to his ear. Why? I don't know. He just does. That's how the story has to go. Uh, so he, he picks this acorn up and puts it to his ear. And it was really weird because the acorn started to speak. And the acorn said, in time, the birds will come and make their nests in my branches. In time, I will cast deep shade over the, the fields so that cattle have a place to come and find respite from the midday sun. In time, I will provide warmth for a home in their fireplace. In time, I will be sheltered from the storm for those who gather beneath my timbers. In time, I will form the ribs of a great ship, and the storms will beat against me in vain as I carry passengers safely across the storm-swept seas. You foolish little acorn, said the old man, will you be all of this? Can you even be all of this? Ah, yes, because God and I can. 
the reason I share this parable is because it models the deep faith and growth that we should have in God. Despite the hostile world that this acorn lived in, the hot sun, the crashing waves, the storms of the season, this acorn believed that God had a plan and a purpose for him. And when he submitted to the purpose and plan that God had for him, he could do great things. And in in reality, the parable is about us. We're the acorn. When we submit to God and experience the plan that he has for us, when we submit to what he's doing in our lives, good and bad, what we may define as good or bad, we can grow into Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit indwells us as Christians. As we partner with God, we are made to look more like Jesus Christ. God's plan and purpose is that we would come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and that we would be sanctified, 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 that's a hard word this morning apparently, that we would be sanctified by his word and grace. And first and foremost, if, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never entered into a relationship with him, that's the first step to growing as this acorn having a real and personal relationship. Jesus Christ put on flesh so that he could live the life that neither you nor I or any other person could live. And he died the death that neither you nor I or any other person could handle in order to be raised from the dead, defeating death and our sin. So that's the first place. And if you are there, praise God. Now, how are we partnering with God to grow, to be sanctified? Uh, Author and and blogger Tim Challey says in reference to the story, uh, though we have been justified and will be glorified, we are being sanctified. Though God has in one moment saved our souls and will in one moment deliver them to his presence, he is in the meantime progressively conforming us to his image. And though he calls us to battle to put sin to death and come alive to righteousness, he does not call us to battle in our own strength, or in our own power. God has given us those things through his spirit and his word. Are we submitting to him? My hope is that we would live into the reality of what Jesus' prayer is in this first section, this first theme of our section. My prayer is that we are finding ways to spend time with God and be sanctified by his word. Whether that's the worship service here on Sunday, whether that's being a part of a life group, whether it's a part of one of our men's or women's Bible studies, or if it's just one-on-one discipleship. Look, as an an introvert and as someone who's going to probably take a three-hour nap after being up here today, (laughs) I can tell you that one of the most effective forms of discipleship is one-on-one. But then that one-on-one can multiply to two-on-two, three-on-three, and so forth, so, so on and so forth. How are we submitting to to God and his word and helping one another grow in Christ-likeness? I really do hope and I, I really do pray that we're engaging with God daily in his word, that we're being set apart by it and that we're looking more like Jesus. For the last three years or so, we've put out a, a Bible reading plan for the year We do that not because it looks good, 
we do it because our hope is that you would learn to know God more deeply, more intimately, and that you would be transformed into God's character. Without the word to sanctify us, we are being transformed into something, but it certainly doesn't look like Christ. So what are we being transformed by? God's word or the world? But that's not the only thing, right, that we see in this passage. The second thing, the second theme that we see in this portion of the high priestly prayer is that Jesus' disciples are to be sent into the world. In verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. There's this progression where the Father sends the Son and the Son sends the church, sends the disciples, sends the Holy Spirit with us. We are sent into the world for God's glory and for the sake of the gospel. And we know from the Bible that the church is not uh, sent alone because we have the helper. We have Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit indwells us. He guides us. He leads us. And we can see that leading. We can see that guidance more and more as we read our Bibles, as we spend time with God. As Christians, we're set apart and growing in Christ-likeness, but we're also being sent to share the hope that we have in Christ. We're not meant to just keep it to ourselves alone. Earlier this year, we were in the book of Acts, which tells the story of the growing church. Then the rest of the New Testament tells the stories of how these churches are working through their faith, both in good and bad ways. I'm looking at you, church in Corinth, not doing so hot. So we see how we have grace by God. We don't do it perfectly, but we're working it out. And this is by design and purpose, because Jesus is praying and affirming the design that we are sent. We work it out. We grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in his character. We grow to look like him. So while I, was, while I was on sabbatical, like I mentioned, Beck and I went to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. Uh, seeing this ginormous boat was awesome. Uh, they've done this wonderful job of making a replica Ark and explaining how animals could fit on it and all these things. If you ever have an opportunity, go. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It, was, it really was worshipful in ways. Uh, and they had a wonderful restaurant on site that, let me tell you, it, it's worth it for that. Um, I'm still thinking about that pot roast anyway. Um, but they've done a wonderful job to create this experience. And so you have multiple decks um, in which you can look at exhibits and learn and things like that. And on the third deck, there's this special exhibit that is in partnership with the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And this... Uh, Exhibit shows how the gospel has made its way around the world over the centuries. It shows uh, all these replica homes and huts and boats and cities and things like that. Um, but it was, it was interesting because it was a, a really nice mixture of facsimiles, but also actual artifacts. Um, and the one artifact, actual artifact, that caught my attention was the chair of Hudson Taylor. And this is it. Um, I'm not going to lie, I kind of wanted to jump over the railing and try to sit in it, but it would not have held my weight, so 
I didn't do that. Didn't want to get kicked out. Um, but it was fascinating because it was his actual chair that I imagined. He wrote sermons and he prayed. We don't need to venerate this, right? We don't need to hold this up. But what we can do is look at the life of that man. So, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the late 1880s, uh, 1800s, I'm sorry. Uh, and he not only lived in China and ministered to the people there, but he created a missions organization that allowed others to go into China. And one of, the, one of the unique things about Hudson Taylor was that he was one of the first ones to begin adopting the clothing style of the people he lived near. He did so to try to break down barriers so that they would listen to the message that he had. He did so so that they would understand that the gospel is not a cultural message, but it's a message for all people at all times and all places. A decade or so ago, while I was on a boat in the middle of the Amazon River, I remember reading uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, a book written by his son and daughter-in-law. And there I read of Hudson's faith and obedience to God by the work that he did in China. And I can still remember sitting on that boat with it being a little foggy out there. And I just, I remember having this distinct impression from the Lord that as Hudson was sent, I was sent. Now, not sent to China, but just sent. The, the reason I was on the Amazon River was we were uh, doing a short-term mission trip. Uh, we, we ministered to uh, some wonderful people in this village called Nuevo Jardín, New Garden. And it made me think of the new garden that is coming one day, the, the new city, in fact, um, where God will dwell with his people. And I want that city to be populated. Even as an introvert, I want people in that city. <laughs> and so this moment of reading his story and him being so profoundly impacted by the gospel showed me what life in Christ could be like. And since then I've learned, here's the, the truth is, not am I being sent, the question for you is not, are you being sent? We know that's true. We're all being sent. The question that we must now ask is, to whom am I being sent to? Where am I being sent to? Not everyone in this room is called to be a missionary overseas, but we are being called to be a people that share the hope and good news that we have in Christ. So where is it that you're being sent to? Being sent doesn't mean, necessarily mean, going across the world or even across the country. Sometimes it's not even across the city. Sometimes being sent means to be a consistent presence in the life of an aging parent that does not yet know Christ. Sometimes it means tucking your kids into bed at night and praying with them, showing them, teaching them what it means to pray and sharing stories from, from the Bible. Sometimes being sent means that you're meeting a friend at a coffee shop just to listen to their hardship and their pain 
don't get me wrong, I, I firmly believe there are people in this room today that are being called and sent around the world. I think God is doing that because he desires for us to raise up mature disciples. But I don't think all of us have to get new jobs in order to best serve God and his kingdom. So think for just a moment. Who have you had interactions with this last week? Maybe your child's teacher, maybe the cashier at HEB, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a new neighbor. Who have you had interactions with this week? And consider, maybe that's who God is sending you to. What would it take for you to be bold enough to share the gospel with those people? I do want to, to take a moment to clarify. Uh, so often I, I hear people talk about missions and discipleship as, as two different things. Um, many people assume that missions is about doing and discipleship is about learning. And they're only partially correct. Warren Wearsby said... It is not enough merely to study the Bible and learn a great deal of doctrinal truth. We must also love Jesus Christ more as we learn all that he is and all that he's done for us. Learning and, living, uh, learning and loving should lead to living, allowing the Spirit of God to enable us to obey his word. This is how we glorify him in this present evil world. With Wearsby's quote in mind, I, I believe... It's better to think of missions and discipleship as two sides of the same coin. On one side, I have George Washington's face upside down, but it's still there. Uh, and on the other side, I have this eagle. Both sides make up the whole quarter. This is how it was intended. This is how it should be used. And the same is true for Christians. A holistic Christian must have both discipleship, the learning to be like Jesus as formed by the word of God and the mission, the outworking of what that learning and being sent implies. A quarter with one side is defective for its design and purpose. And so is a Christian who engages only discipleship, the learning, or only mission, the doing. Both sides of the same coin. We have to have both. The idea of being sent or being on mission might be scary to a lot of us. We have these pictures in our head that requires hours of preaching and teaching, of having the right answers. You know, let me, I've already had a conversation about this this morning. I just, we don't have to have the answers. If someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, one of the best and most Christ-like ways to answer that or to, to help that person is say, let's discover that together. Let's go to the Word of God. Let's figure out what God has to say about that. That's the best thing that you can, you can do. You don't have to have the answers. So we, we have this picture, right, of, of having the answers, of preaching, teaching, hours of study, and then having to pick up and move. And yet, again, we're not all expected to move, but we are expected to be with people. What is expected is to be faithful to God and serve where he is leading you. 
Yet, some of us will have to move in order to be obedient to God. But for many of us, it's truly as simple as being sent into our families, to our jobs, to the sports that we play or our kids' sports that they play, our friend groups. We can share the gospel anywhere. And in fact, if you need help, Pastor Patrick has a two-part class coming up. He will equip you and help you, and you will be a pro at this. He will help you see that it's as, as simple as sharing the hope that we have in Christ. And so please, it starts next Sunday. If, if you desire help or encouragement, I really do think signing up for this two-part class would be fantastic. But he will help you share comfortably and clearly. Um, William Barclay said, Christianity was never meant to withdraw a man from life. It was meant to equip him better for life. Christianity does not offer us release from problems. It offers us a way to solve our problems. Christianity does not offer us an easy peace. It offers us a triumphant warfare. Christianity does not offer us a life in which troubles are escaped and evaded. It offers us a life in which troubles are faced and conquered. The Christian must never desire to abandon the world. He must always desire to win the world. I hope that we can find joy in being obedient to God by walking in his, in his mission. The purpose of the gospel is to proclaim that Jesus came into the world to save people and that God redeems and restores. That should be the greatest and easiest message we ever proclaim, especially to those that we are being sent to. When we are sanctified, when we are growing in our sanctification, we are ready for the mission. In fact, commentator and former Professor Thomas Constable says, sanctification was essential for the success of the mission. I hope that we are men and women who are continually being conformed to the image, the likeness, the character of Jesus Christ through the ongoing process of sanctification and following where God is leading us. So today, as we begin to close... I want to give us just a little bit of time to process how we are applying what this passage teaches. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up or get in groups or write anything down. If you want to write things down, great. That's kind of how my mind works. It, that's what helps me. But I'm not asking you to do anything other than sit where you are and partner with the Lord and ask Him a few things. So I'm going to have questions on the screen and give us just a few moments to, to process them. But the first set of questions that I want you to think through and pray through is, am I being sanctified by the Word of God? You might want to consider a, a few uh, sub-questions that help you get to that point as you pray. But what is my daily engagement with the Word of God, both the person of Jesus and the Bible like? What is my daily engagement with the Word of God like? And then the second is, do the people closest to me notice a difference in the way that I live and in my character? So spend just a few moments just praying through, asking God to reveal these answers to you. The next question that I want you to ask, and spend just a moment in reflection, where am I being sent 
for the sake of the gospel. You might ask questions and pray, what relationships do I have where I'm listened to and respected for how I live? Of those relationships or spheres of influence, who desperately needs to hear the gospel? Take just a moment to pray and think through this question. Carry these questions with you this week and see what the Lord has to say. I know I said that I wouldn't make you talk to others, but I just meant here. You may ask others, invite others in, and have a conversation with them. Help, allow them to help you discern the movement of God in your life. If you want to talk to me, I'm happy to buy you a cup of coffee or tea and pray with you and help you discern. But by asking these questions and finding answers to them, I truly believe that we will be able to be sanctified and sent in the way that Jesus prays for us here in John 17. As I mentioned earlier, I've really sought to lean into the friendship of Jesus. He cares for those whom he calls friend. He desires what is good and right and best for them. I don't think it was for any other reason than wanting the best for the 11 and for you and I that Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified and that we would be sent. So much happens for the glory of God and for our sake when we grow in Christ-likeness and when we engage in God's mission. Sometimes it isn't easy, but we are protected. And when we're obedient, we glorify God. This week, be on the lookout for ways in which you're being set apart by God and his word and where you're engaging in his mission. I love the, the simplicity of what this passage teaches. I love the simplicity of friendship with the Lord. I love that we are being sanctified and sent, and he gives us everything that we need for that. May we be people that are continually being formed by our friend through his word and responding to his mission. Let us pray. Oh, friend Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are near to us, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you desire for us to look like you. This week, as, as people who confess your name, would you bestow upon us grace so that we can learn from you, engage you in your word. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be obedient, to walk in the way of your mission, all for the glory of the triune God and for the sake of those who need to hear the message of love and salvation through faith in Christ. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that it is a home. I thank you that it is brothers and sisters learning to obey you. God, may, may the words and the meditations of my heart and the, the things that are correct, the things that are right, may they encourage my sisters and brothers today. 
for any misstep that I may have said, would you turn a, a, a deaf ear and not good memory for them? Help them to grow and to love you. Lord Jesus, we love you when we pray this in your precious name. Amen.